Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining us again here on the Sound Logic Podcast. Today we are discussing album number 51 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 Greatest Albums list. This is The Great 28, a compilation album of music from Chuck Berry. It wasn't too long ago that we were discussing, with some relief, I think, that it took us until album number 48 to get our first compilation on this new 2020 list. And now here we go. We've got two of them uh, within four albums and another one just around the corner. Um, Mm -hmm. Starting to get a little nervous here that the compilation (laughs) albums are back. But I I do remember when we went over this early on that that there's far fewer. So maybe we're just in a weird uh, phase here right now. Um, This, uh, for those who are just joining us, this is an album we've already reviewed and we'll get to our old review here in just a minute. But um, since this is a uh, re-ranking episode, we wanted to talk about a few things that have changed since that time. Um, This album had been at the number 21 spot in the 2003 list, the Coffee Table Book, and the 2012 reissue. Um, But it's fallen 30 spots to this 51 slot here. Um, any thoughts on that shift in uh, placement, Mike? Was it sound logic to move it from 21 to 51? Well, as you could guess, I have several thoughts <laughs> on, on this movement. Uh, number one, and, and I've said this before, I still have a really hard time believing that on a poll of individuals who are picking their favorite al- albums or ones they feel have been most significant over time, or ones that were significant to them either in making music or just in their lives I have a hard time believing that so many people would put a compilation album so high yeah yeah. Um, now you could make a few exceptions Uh, we just talked about Legend the best of Bob Mm -hmm. Marley and that's just a, a incredible grouping of music and um I love listening to it personally, even though it is a compilation album. Right. Um, And then an album like this, where you have an artist from an era before there were LP records. Right. So a lot of Chuck Berry's music, and uh, forgive me if I misspeak here, maybe most of his stuff, certainly his early stuff, we're talking anything kind of pre-1960 or maybe 56 um, is all going to be singles or on compilations that uh, record labels put out a single with a few different uh, hits or a few different tracks from artists on that label. So to then later on be able to purchase something which contains all of your artist's favorite tracks could have been very novel. Absolutely. Um, so I could see that this one maybe, maybe, uh, could be some people, oh yeah, like I love that, or that's how I got into rock and roll or playing guitar or whatever. Um, I still feel like it's a bit of a stretch, and this is where I'll come back to, I'm not, 
hopefully someday we can talk to somebody who was involved in curating this list, but I'm still not convinced that it was just, you know, here's the votes, throw them into a computer, computer, it tabulates the results, and here we go. I think there's still some editing and massaging and, you know, oh, geez, there's nothing by Chuck Berry. We better put something by Chuck Berry in there. People are going to freak out or, you know, what have you. Um, Wow, geez, Chuck Berry doesn't show up until number 405. Wow, that's that's not going to go over well. You know, stuff like that. Again, I'm speculating, but but I still feel that way. Um, Not because his music wasn't good or wasn't important, but this, this album... Right. Uh, uh, this album that was like you know not even his it's like not even his labels another label who got the rights and and <laughs> and released it I think if I'm remembering you'll you'll hear on our review our previous review we talk about all that stuff but anyways that's just my thoughts on kind of where this is uh, if this again we said this before if this list is about the most influential. Mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. or music then yes of course chuck berry absolutely very influential and i think i'm sure he influenced many musicians who have become themselves extremely influential and important yeah um but this album as one of the greatest uh i'm i'm again i'm hesitant to uh to really buy into that yeah i'm not sure how you feel about those things uh, I, I resonate with all that you've said. I, I think oh, uh, <laughs> we can probably <laughs> keep it pretty simple. Um, I, yeah, I think I'm not sure what to make of this fact that so much of this music on this disc, on this album, comes out before albums were really a thing. It's all, um, almost all of it is from the 50s. There's uh, uh, the, the very Final side, side four of the two uh, disc set has some songs from the early '60s, but but most of it is from a time before albums. and And so then, I I am of the inclination to say this artist, um, this album is not doing what this list is intending to do, and that's to showcase great albums because this is an artist right. who produced their music in a different era, at least the the stuff that was so beloved. It's different to me than saying the inclusion of something like um, the Beatles' one uh, collection of all their number one hits because they were a band that actually had albums and albums that did quite well and albums that stand on their own. Um, And yet I listen to it and I think, boy, this is really just like that one album. It's just taking all of his beloved songs and putting them all in the same uh, packaging. Uh, And... We don't have any patience for the Beatles one album to be on this list, so why should we for <laughs> Chuck Berry? Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's um you know, Rolling Stone loves lists and his songs frequently make it at the top of the greatest rock songs of all time. Um, right, of so course. I feel like that's the better place for an artist like this. And my hunch is that I said mm. something like that when we reviewed this album <laughs> almost right. two years ago. <laughs> The other thing we talked about this this album uh, was released in '82. Yeah, one of just two albums that came out in our birthday. <laughs> what two albums? Period. <laughs> no, you mean on this the, list? The, that we've reviewed so far. That we've reviewed so far. Oh, there was yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> thriller, right? Yeah. Anyway, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, but um, <laughs> this came out in 82, and in, in a similar way to, we're, we're going to talk about, um, in a couple weeks, uh, Star Time, a, a huge compilation of um, James James Brown's music. And that was, uh, this was an LP, yeah, but that is is a CD box set, and then there, mm-hmm. there's many, especially on the on the previous list. We already talked about a bunch of these '90s box sets, but you got to think about the context in which it comes out. So if you're uh, box sets and these big, you know, three disc, four disc, uh, when they retailed, they were very expensive, uh, much more expensive than buying one disc or even buying three discs. They're even more because it's all the packaging and it's the novelty of it. So the question is, who are they for? Well, this big LP set in 1982 is not for, you know, people who were born in 1960 who are 20 years old. They're people who grew up with this music and now are very set, probably in their 50s, very set in their in their careers and finances. And they never had one LP or, or a three LP set, one set of all Chuck Berry's music because it didn't exist. Yeah, and now they have it all in one set. So it's a marketing. Really, I I feel the purpose of these were marketing for a bit of an older generation who can one afford it and has yeah. never had this music altogether before. Same as when we look at like you know we talked about the Ray Charles or the Muddy Waters or we're going to talk about James Brown. You had like all of these LPs scattered all over the place but now we're in the 90s and not only do you not want to record all your lps on a tape or to have the you know to go through 10 lps to listen to your favorite songs but now you can have just three cds of all of james brown's music and you're in your 50s now or 60s and you've got more money so you can afford to spend 80 bucks on a box set right right um so that's who that's for uh and you're not looking to sell you know a hundred thousand copies you're going to make a ton of money off selling you know or, i mean uh, like a million you're going to make a ton of money off selling maybe just a hundred or two hundred thousand because it costs way much more yeah. than it takes to produce it uh, percentage wise so so there's a purpose for releasing these things and there's a very specific person who's going to want to buy them so it brings me back to my initial question is this an important is it an important album in and of itself, I, I really question it, and, and yeah. I really question it being at fifty-one. I majorly question it being at twenty-two. And I said the same thing: important music, yes; important artist, yes, hundred percent. This album, I don't think so. And and why would you not take a recording, even if it was a forty-five or something, uh, or an LP? And, and put that in its place. Yeah. Uh, we t- I think we talked about that maybe with Ray Charles or like I'd rather have a, 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 one of his best LPs here than this compilation. So, anyways, that's uh, my two cents that nobody asked for. <laughs> and I think you're about to hear it all over again in just a few minutes. Yeah, when we yeah, that, that, so. that's true. <laughs> but I guess I guess if you didn't want to hear what the two of us think about this stuff, you wouldn't be listening right now. So right, we, you, we you would have found a podcast that. where the guys actually have credentials. Yeah, but even those guys are wrong. Half the time. <laughs> well said. So we hope you stick around and listen to 
our previous review of this album from a couple years ago. And Ben, why don't you tell everyone what we've got coming up next week? Yeah, we'll be back in a week's time with a Bowie album. Uh, this is the second David Bowie album that we've tackled so far. This one is 1976's Station to Station, which comes in at the number 52 spot. Um, it'll be fun to have a new album here in the uh, in the mix, uh, and we'll tell you more about that one when the time comes. In the meantime, we hope you continue to be well. We hope you take care of yourselves and those around you. And we certainly hope you'll join us next time, right here on the SoundLogic Podcast. Our previous review of The Great 28 coming up right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Okay. Uh, podcast? Yeah. Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for putting up with us uh, after our little hiatus there. Um, Thanks for your patience, and it's good to be back. Uh, you found us again, the Sound Logic Podcast, episode number 21, which is tackling the Great 28, a uh, compilation of Chuck Berry's, uh, I guess, 28 greatest songs. <laughs> Determined by somebody. Determined by determined by somebody somewhere at some time. Record producer. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yes. Welcome to a podcast where we talk about albums that were released and somebody said that they were really good. And then <laughs> and then sometimes and this is the second time there's compilation albums mm. that are songs that people thought were really good and then released them and then they found their way on this list and yeah. apparently you and I both have uh, very specific feelings about that so that's just uh, <laughs> that's just foreshadowing do we start there? do we start? I that? don't know that's, it's just where I'm feeling right now this was a yeah it's released in 1982, so it's okay. going to be like disco album inspired by the early 80s. That sort of thing, right? Disco. Yeah, 1982. <laughs> <laughs> Release date. Uh, but disco was dead by then. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Somebody we should me. be... We should be feeling the same sort of feelings that we had on Thriller, right? Same year release, our birth year. Um, this is not that, though. This no, is but I mean, well, first of all, it wasn't pop. Second of all, uh, the music was recorded 
17 years prior, at least, 17 yeah. to 27 years prior, so it's... Anyways, I don't want to... We have some other things. There's other business to take care of first before <laughs> I go on some sort of rant. Um, yeah. But I think that, uh, contrary to some of our other episodes, you will be supporting me on my rant. Sure. I hope. Well, I don't know what there is. <laughs> oh, well, I have a feeling you will, based on okay. a previous, uh, a recent conversation, but we'll uh, we'll see. Um, so it's safe to say that neither of us had listened to this album previously. Right. Yes, okay, so that's easy. Uh, what did you think this album was going to be like before you listened to it? I think when I hear Chuck Berry's name, I immediately think of Johnny B. Good. Yep. And I immediately think of Back to the Future at that point. Yep, um, me too. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right, this is, uh, this is an oldie, but, uh, well, it, it's an oldie where I come from. All right, guys, uh, listen, this is the Blues Riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? So <laughs> I think I was assuming that it'd be songs in that style. Uh, uh, early rock and roll sounds um, lots of blues riffs that's pretty much it how about how about you uh, yep um, <laughs> uh, two two note guitar riffs you know just yeah. like uh, I expected it with being a compilation over a decade to be fairly diverse mm. um mm-hmm. I expected it to be um, a little more exciting. Uh, those were my expectations. Uh, riff, and I want to clarify, very ignorant preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Really not having a whole lot of experience with his catalog and anything other than some of the, the very, very popular songs. Roller, mm-hmm. Be- Roll Over Beethoven, uh, Run Run Rudolph, Johnny Be Good. Uh, stuff like that. So, yeah. yes, I ha- I was I had a preconceived notion, but it, but it was out of ignorance. So it's not like I. Well, I guess they always have to be. If you know about it, then it's not really preconceived anymore. But. Anyways, uh, yeah, that's that's me for that. Um, I, I'd like to do some details before we get too far in. Details. Details. This is a, a tricky album, uh, given that it is a compilation album, uh, and it's not something that charted necessarily, just because of the way that it was released. Right. So some of these details that we have for other albums have been a little harder to find. We should just start with that disclaimer. So the album is a survey of Chuck Berry's first decade of recording on Chess Records. So it contains 21 singles along with six of their B-sides and one album track from Chuck Berry in London. And then 11 of these singles were top 10 hits and on a Billboard R&B singles chart, and 10 were top 40 hits. So... A lot of great music. A lot of great... What it's saying is that Chuck Berry had albums, but none of these are from albums. Mm-hmm. They're all uh, just singles or or... Yeah, they're all singles on chess records. Yeah, a similar vein to uh, Elvis Presley. You know, right. we're talking about early 50s here when music wasn't really released in the same way. Right. Uh, 
you know, you'd record a single, you'd put it out, it'd get radio play. You'd record a single, put it out, it'd get radio play. And that's what we're looking at here. Um, so similar to the Elvis album, you know, there's probably an argument to be made to say, look, these songs never really appeared on an album. That's why we can put a compilation album here as sort of a placeholder for a hypothetical album if music had been released in that sort of style in that era. Right. Um, but, but yeah, that, that helps provide some structure, some framework as to how this album was put together. I think so. And this isn't, this isn't even the first compilation album from Chuck Berry. And if, you know, I know different record companies do compilations all the time, you know, and there's ones that might even go under mm-hmm. the radar, but if I'm counting correctly, this is the 10th compilation album that had been released for Chuck Berry. First was in 62. <laughs> so <Wow. laughs> like, you know, he'd already made a bunch of music and they're putting this here, but I would agree with you that just, just in very similar way to Elvis, they wanted to capture that early sound that wasn't on an album. You know, you would have had to have all the singles and then just keep, <laughs> just keep switching them over. Yes. Keep, keep putting the 45s on. So, uh, then the Rolling Stone list, and we'll get to this, I think, you know, wanted to capture, okay, we want to capture how significant that music was, but there was no album. So we're putting this here. Yep. I think I kind of just regurgitated what you said, but. <laughs> no, I think that's that's a helpful reiteration of that. So for writing credits, does Chuck Berry get all the writing credits here? I don't know. Uh, it, it doesn't even really say. We We would assume that he gets... Oh, yeah. All tracks written by Chuck Berry. I should read that. It's right at the top. Uh, okay. So Chuck Berry wrote them. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, there were session musicians or band musicians that helped. Uh, it didn't... There's there's very little details on uh, the, even the date it was released. I I Google it. I can't find a date. Like, it had to Other be... Other than the year. It had to be released on some... There's a date, you know... It, it wasn't for sale, and then it was for sale. So that date right. is the date. But maybe they just kind of started sending it to record stores, and then they started selling it. There was no specific date. I don't know. But that's weird. I've never seen that before, that there's no – especially it's not like this was back in the dark ages. It was in the 80s, so there must have been a date. Anyways, <laughs> there's there's nothing for for sales or um, or charts. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's strange, and and making it even stranger is that you can find images of the back of this album, um, and they have a copyright date of 1984. Okay. So, all right, I, yeah, it's it's perplexing to say the least. Uh, maybe maybe there was a a second pressing in '84. I don't know. Yeah, it maybe just, it's it is kind of. I found it kind of a strange album in some of these mm-hmm. details, but. But that's okay. Um, yeah. So the artwork, uh, this is, um, again, interesting, very generic, almost, I don't know, it's almost like not much thought went into this. And that happens sometimes. You just put something out just to try and get something out there. Uh, it's it, it does have a very very strong 50s vibe for, for what it's worth. It, it does. It, it doesn't really have an 80s vibe, which... You wouldn't necessarily want. Uh, okay, there is. Um, it's a yellow background 
on the left is a black and white image a cutout of Chuck Berry in a classic pose, you know, uh, mm-hmm. kind of uh, legs not bent, but bending over playing his guitar, um, his uh, Gibson hollow body electric. And mm, on a bit of an angle, <laughs> like a slant yeah. uh, in cursive red, uh, the great 28 underneath that big, uh, all caps is blue Chuck Berry, uh, mm-hmm. down very small on the bottom, uh, in black, bold, uh, all capital, the original hits, uh, two records set, <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, if you're going to put that on there, why is it in like a two font? <laughs> you can barely even yeah. see it. It's right at the, it's like, don't forget to read the fine print or you won't know that there's right. uh, two records in here. And then this is kind of funny on the top, um, again, on a slanted, but at a different angle. Yeah. It's like, oh, the design here. I'm not even a design person and this is hurting my brain. Uh, there's a, it's like, it looks like a zipper. Yeah, or a tired, tired mark, mark or, or a finish line. Of the stripe on a taxi cab. Sure. Well, that makes sense. With the yellow. It's yellow. Yeah. It's black, so yellow background. And then in the middle it says chess record, so maybe that was their logo. I don't know. Um, I, I, again, it, it's like the design quality to me is poor, and it's very plain. Yeah. And even it just looks a little hokey to me. Is that Am, am, am yeah, I out I mean, of line in saying that? No, I think this is um, almost a trademark of compilation albums. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Let's just throw something on the front. Everyone knows who Chuck Berry already is. You know, um, as long as we put his name big, people will buy it. And hmm. yeah. And that, I don't know. I guess business is business, but that's disappointing to me, especially when it's someone this well known, you know? Yeah, you know, you may want to put a little more thought into it. Yeah. I guess it goes back to the argument that you know artists are just—they're just, they're just a, a conduit by which the record company makes money. They're not really people, nor is their art necessarily significant. I know that. I know that's yeah, very I mean, cynical, but you know, th- this kind of feels like that. Anyways, yeah. and there are times when the artists just leave it blank, like the White Album, or. <laughs> You know, it's not like the artist is always necessarily better at putting a design on their work. True. But True. Yeah. I'm not going to list the tracks. Just straight <laughs> up. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not running through 28 tracks. You know, for me, I'm just jumping in here. For me, I can't look at most of these and tell you what they sounded like. They just. Oh, really? No. Like I, the ones I already knew, but. I guess I'd really yeah. have to listen to it a lot. It's I, it, none of them just really grab me. I, like it's cool. Like hey, it's good music. There's nothing wrong with the music. They're all fun songs, and we've talked about this before. Maybe because it's been part of our culture and our lives for so long, and even our parents. Like this music was being mm-hmm. made, like before some of our parents were born. Mm-hmm. so it's just been in culture for so long and there's been so many things that have come after it and built on it that it's not it could never seem new to us so i know that's a challenge when we listen to it there's a couple of 
of dynamics here that I think are worth mentioning because of what you just said. A lot of these songs have been successful covers Mm -hmm. by artists who came later. Um, Elvis and the Beatles have re-recorded successful versions of some of these songs, and I'm guessing other albums after that. Um, But I think that points to the sort of pioneer nature of this artist and the influence that he had, you know, Rolling Stone, this, this list, if, if there's anything that seems to be constant, it's that they love those who've influenced the music world. And I think when I go through this track list, uh, I think of some of the other versions of these songs when I, when I read the titles. Yeah, fair. Um, and, and for that reason alone, I think there's something here to these to these songs and their influence. It makes me a little sad as well. Um, you know, I I think probably because of the racial moment that he became a star, uh, it took white artists to make some of these songs more palatable for for some listeners. And so, you know, Chuck Berry releases. A, a song and uh, it does okay and then Elvis releases it again and it and it explodes um, mm. or, or the same uh, for the Beatles and uh, and those ones get remembered then um, so there's something significant I think about this grouping of songs not only for their influence but because of what that influence also tells us about uh, some of the downfalls of our culture um, we mentioned at the opening uh, Back to the Future. Um, that's a great scene. You know, he he's at his parents' high school dance. Everything has um, been resolved. You know, his parents are together. His his arm is no longer fading away. Sorry, spoilers if oh, uh, yeah. no one's seen Back to the Future. Spoiler alert. Uh, Put that. Edit <laughs> but, uh, that before you start. That iconic. That's spoiler right. Alert. That iconic line. Uh, what is it? Something like. Uh, You know the the guy, the guitarist whose hand was injured, uh, off stage holds up the phone, screams into the phone for his cousin to take a listen right. to this. Uh, you know, basically insinuating that Marty McFly uh, created rock and roll one night at a dance hall, uh, so that you know um, this black artist would have this sound <laughs> from this white kid from the future. Um, you know, even in this iconic Hollywood scene, we're also sort of whitewashing uh, Chuck Berry and his influence. We're saying, oh, well, yeah, Chuck Berry may have created this rock and roll sound, but he, he actually got it from, you know, in this hypothetical movie from this kid, on this white kid on the stage. Uh, who took, took it from him? It, I don't know. It's well, all circular. It, a time it, travel is tricky. It creates a time loop. Don't don't even get me started it's about time travel because I get so mad about it. And Nora says, it's not real. I said, yes, but it could be real. And if it was, all these movies get it wrong. Back to the Future, awful. Time travel. Yeah. Endgame, time travel, awful. Uh, uh, the only person who I think gets it right is J.K. Rowling in Harry Potter. But let's not go there. That's a totally different podcast. One that we don't produce right now. Um, yes, but like yeah. So there's there's the yeah. Um, I can see Back to the Future. Well, uh, Roll over Beethoven immediately made think made me think of the 
the dog movies from our childhood as well. Charles Grodin. <laughs> yeah. Great actor. Uh, and, there, and there are others on here where I, I, you know, as the song would come on, I'd get, it would draw me to another memory from something else. In uh, pop culture. In pop right. culture yeah. <laughs> that didn't really reference that it came from Chuck Berry, oh. but used it anyway. Um, Interesting. Uh, I want to go back to the covers. Uh, Beatles, yeah. that was rock and roll music. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think I had forgotten that there wasn't a Beatles song. <laughs> um, and what was yeah. the Elvis track? Yeah. Elvis did Too Much Monkey Business. Elvis did Johnny Be Good. Okay, yeah. Um, a song called Promised Land, which I don't think is on this. Okay. And Memphis, Tennessee, mm-hmm. which also is on this. But a number of uh, Chuck Berry songs. It's a song called Memphis, isn't it? Oh, Memphis, Tennessee is on there, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I just I wasn't as familiar with his versions, but rock and roll music, yeah, I'm very familiar with uh, the Beatles version. Yeah, um, I think on their first album, which is one we will discuss eventually, since all ten of their albums are on this list. <laughs> I guess I, I should say the thing that I've been holding back and saying, well, I'll say after listening to about half of these I wanted to turn it off because they were just all the same that's what that's the way I felt and and I felt I uh-huh. felt a little awkward in doing that because I do respect it and I do like it it was like I didn't like it I was kind of bored I was like okay I get it if I was a big fan of early rock or a big fan of Chuck Berry or if I had some if there was some nostalgia attached to it I mean again like we said this is I mean, there's music that I like that was from before I was born, but stuff that maybe we grew up listening to. I didn't even grow up listening to any of this. It's even it's even a generation before me. Um, and certainly the culture that I grew up in, my parents and my grandparents did not listen to this kind of music. You know, maybe, maybe you're a person. We talked to um, a friend of ours, Jason Crane, who grew up listening to jazz with his grandpa. Okay. Ever right. was a jazz musician listen to that stuff my grandparents and your grandparents uh, did not listen to this music or really any secular music because they grew up in a mm-hmm. in a uh, religious culture that prohibited them from doing so um, so we had no exposure to it so there's nothing there's nothing here that's bringing me back um, to any point in my life so so I'm finding it hard to connect in a different way than some of the other albums like Bob Dylan or or Velvet Underground that not only could I not connect to it but I also didn't particularly enjoy it I enjoyed this it just wasn't exciting to me um, and when I say they all sound the same I know that they're different songs and I know that some of them have different styles and feels but I it to me it all had a similar uh, tone to it yeah yeah that makes sense but uh, how, how do you feel? How do you feel about that in general? About you know the album in general and about that statement. Well, I was surprised by how much more I was feeling the nostalgic vibe listening to this than with Elvis. Okay, I think um, I think it was Ten Fifty Chum. Is that right? That played oldies back in the day. I don't think they even exist anymore. If they do, they do something else. Is that yeah. it? Yeah, um, yeah. I remember that. My yeah, they did oldies. Would, my dad would listen to that in the truck while we were driving around. Um, and I think that 
I think there was probably a mixture of both Elvis and Chuck Berry, but uh, I think a lot of these songs were on more frequent play, at least than at least in my very very faint childhood memory. And so there were, I think there were more songs that you know my toe would start tapping, and I think, oh yeah, I know the song. Um, I agree with you totally that it does feel very repetitive. I can't, I can't listen to. 28 tracks in a row. Uh, I think the way I made it through this album was like, you know, I'd get the the first verse and chorus and then I'd skip to the next one um, because that's pretty much all you need to know. It's funny saying that even though these songs are only, you know, two to three minutes long. Uh, but, but yeah, there's something kind of fatiguing about them all sounding very similar. Um, even though there are some songs here that, that really do transport me to different moments. So yeah, I, I I empathize with that, uh, and hmm. totally get what you're saying. Ten fifty chum, mm-hmm. uh, started in 1945. Did music news and sports until 1957. Did top fifty hits, and then started in '86. Adult contemporary, oh. which I listened to a lot in the car with my mom. And especially at CHFI 98.1. Uh, so we got a lot of like, I don't know, Neville Brothers and <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and starting in 89 all the way to 2001 oldies, okay. including, including, uh, sorry, oldies and also Argonauts games and starting in 98 Blue Jays games. Huh. So we're going to stop playing 80 oldies music right now to give you the Jays game, <laughs> which I can support. And then in 2001, they switched to sports talk for a year. And then in 2002, they went back to oldies. And then in 2009, like Chum is a bunch of different companies in Toronto. Okay. I think you know this. And in 2009, it was a straight rebroadcast of CP24, which is an all-news TV station. They just It was a straight rebroadcast of that feed. And then in 2011, TSN took it over. And since then, it's been uh, sports and sports talk. Wow. And it's AM radio. So I just felt the need to, uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> to kind of dig into that because you brought – a lot of memories, but Chum, I think, I think Chum owns a lot of stuff. Maybe it's part of, I don't know who owns it now. Maybe TSN owns it now. Huh. Anyways, there you go. Yeah. Oh, it's owned by Bell. It's owned by Bell Media. So okay. there you go. Uh, okay. Podcast, Chuck Berry. Um, I, again, I, I think for me, the same ones you said, uh, Johnny B. Good, Roll Over Beethoven, and uh, those two for sure. Maybelline, we should say, is kind of his breakthrough, right? That okay. That sort of puts Chuck Berry on the map, um, and that's one that comes to you know. I can hear that song when I read that title. Uh, sure. Okay. Rock and roll music because of I think the covers that it's. it's been yeah, playing. like I was familiar with this as a Beatles song mm-hmm. before knowing it was Chuck Berry, which which has happened with other yeah. artists and stuff. Sometimes that happens. Okay, so we should also point out that uh, Back in USA is on here, which, of course, is uh, parodied by the Beatles on their Back in the USSR uh, track on the White Album. 
Um, I think that also draws from the Beach Boys, California Girls. I had thought at one point that the Beach Boys had covered back in the USA and the Beatles were parodying the Beach Boys song, but that's not how it worked. Um, the Beach Boys kidnapped Chuck Berry and wrote a song about surfing USA. <laughs> and then the Beatles kidnapped the Beach Boys and wrote the White Album. <laughs> Basically, this is just one more excuse to talk about the Beatles on uh, yes. one more episode of the Sound Logic Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we should we should back check that. Uh, I need to listen to all our episodes to see if we mention them in every episode because I bet you we do. I think we mentioned the Beatles in every single episode of this podcast. Possibly. If at the very least to say that uh, a break from the Beatles or the Beatles next time or (laughs) something like that. Which is still mentioning it. (laughs) We've talked about some of our memories and really Mm. it's pop culture. Right. It's pop culture memories. Um, One more uh, that I think of. Run Run Rudolph is not on this. Is that a Chuck Berry song? Sure seems like it should be. Or is it like somebody who did a song in the... It is a Chuck Berry song. In the style of Chuck... It's a Chuck Berry song. Okay, so... I can't... I can't hear that one without thinking about Home Alone. Yeah. (laughs) Running through the airport. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's... Any other memories that you haven't talked about already? No, I think that um, all that we've discussed, though, I think, like a number of these artists, it's hard to separate them from their uh, iconic status. Hard to imagine a time before they existed. Hard to imagine a world that didn't know this sound. Right, Um, yeah. And uh, I think that makes some of these like preconceived notions and memories all that much harder to discuss. On that note, so is the sound the music is irrelevant today well first i think we need to talk about compilation albums oh i did kind of say that (laughs) yeah we do okay uh well who's going first (laughs) (laughs) i don't have a problem with compilation albums existing first statement second statement I have a problem with compilation albums on this list because I don't think they reflect how great the album is rather than reflecting how great the artist is and some of their songs. Because when this was released and in the same way when Sun Sessions, it wasn't that the album was a great hit, but it's just capturing uh, the the influence or the presence of an artist in another time period in both cases was two decades earlier. Uh, So... Has that changed slightly for you? Uh, no. I think I felt the same way with the Sun Sessions. Um, uh, it wasn't a significant album release. The, the Elvis fans bought it, but the album wasn't necessarily great. The songs were good. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, it was just a, it's just a, you know, we think about the craft of an album and putting it together and putting the songs together and the placement of the songs and, you know, on, on concept albums, how they weave together. Mm-hmm. This is just, this is just a, an exec or, or a tech picking the tunes and putting them on. I, 
I don't, I don't yeah. feel the same significance there. So, uh, I love, you know, like, I love compilation albums. Okay. And uh, maybe it is good that I went first. Uh, <laughs> there's some compilation albums that I have and it can be a gateway. For example, when I was getting into Pink Floyd, I knew some of the songs, but I didn't know what album to get. Yeah. And it was before really online streaming. Mm-hmm. So they had just released uh, a greatest hits album. It was a double disc called Echoes. And I went and got it and really, really enjoyed it. And some of the songs I really liked looked in and saw they were all in the same album. So I went and got Dark Side. Mm-hmm. And I got, and I kept getting the other albums. Eventually I actually gave away the greatest hits cause didn't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. So it led me to enjoy the artists more and it was a great album. Um, it wasn't cohesive cause it was from different parts of their career. Yeah. Uh, but it gave a taste of all their best songs. So, uh, and it's like some, some company, like I have Michael Jackson's history. I love listening to that. It's all his hits. Yeah. Um, so. Steve Miller band. I mean, no, I don't think I know anybody who has a Steve Miller band album except for his like, the first greatest hits album, which is great. Mm-hmm. So many good songs. So I like compilation albums. Uh, your turn. I don't like compilation albums. I, it oh. just dawned on me as you were saying that. <laughs> even great, even greatest hits. I, so I put on, okay. A band that I really love. I put on U2's uh, greatest hits albums and all I can think when a song ends is why isn't the next song from this album playing next? Like, oh, I think, okay. I think for yeah. certain bands, I understand that. Uh, bands where I don't really like their discography all that much. I'm fine with a compilation album because it, it gives me their few hit songs that I want to listen to. Yes. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah. And I guess, you know, you listed some great examples, others that might come to mind. I never got super deep into a band like Green Day, for instance, but I'm guessing that I would really enjoy uh, Green Day Greatest Hits because, you know, it was a part of my high school and college years. Right. All those songs were on the radio. I don't really care sure. about going deeper into their back catalog. But if it's a band that I like, um, it just feels clunky to move from song to song without the album track lists there. Um, and, and I think for that, maybe some snobbery mixed into that mix as well. I think I want to hear the way the artist originally intended these songs to be listened to. Um, and so my very small semblance of like empathy, I guess, for the people who compiled this list is that we don't really have an Elvis album or a Chuck Berry album to put in this spot. And so the compilation album gets put there. Both of these artists are a little bit different than if we included something from Green Day. Um, and maybe that's why they're there and why we don't have, uh, you know, I think uh, Rush keeps coming up as an example of a band that maybe doesn't have a singular album that people point to for its greatness, but has so many just absolutely phenomenal tracks that their greatest hits albums should be on this list somewhere, but they're, their career was during a time when their albums were being released in album form, not in an era like Chuck Berry or Elvis where singles were. I agree with you. If you're a fan of the band, you're probably not going to buy the greatest hits because you already have their greatest hits, but it's a great way to introduce new people. And maybe in that sense, it's a marketing 
Yeah, I guess. The hardcore fans will buy right. the greatest hits. And new fans who, like you, yeah, I'm not a Green Day fan, but, man, I love all these songs. I'm getting this album. Right, and just right. have them all together. Yeah. Of course, maybe in the modern era, a greatest hits album is totally useless because you can just download all the individual songs anyway. So That's true. Yeah, who knows about that. Um, so a question for you. Is the music still relevant? Yeah, that's a good question. I think this is still relevant because of its uh, seminal nature. I mean, I think we don't quite understand Elvis unless we also understand Chuck Berry. Um, We don't quite understand the Beatles even unless we understand that Chuck Berry came before them. So a sort of pioneer groundbreaker, uh, we need to have this sound on this list somewhere. And I think that's what makes it relevant. So yeah, I think it's still relevant. Uh, how about you? I think the, the music, because again, the, the type of guitars we use is still the same. Uh, the type of guitar sounds, we still use that in a lot of rock music. So I think, the music and the sounds are relevant, even if the songs maybe aren't. And I think I want to tie that to, is it sound dated? The songs sound dated uh, because of the style and because of the recording quality. But I think still it's the type is relevant. And even though it's dated, so we've talked about this, something can be dated, but, yeah. but it's not a problem. Yep. And sometimes it's dated and it is a problem. Like anytime mm-hmm. I listen to uh, electronic drums from the 80s, I go, this is a problem for me because it sounds mm-hmm. awful. Um, so this isn't a problem. Yeah, I mean, I think this may be our best example so far yet of separating these two things out about their relevancy and, and their sounding yeah. dated. Because I think this the the dated sound is why we can't listen to 28 tracks in a row. Yeah. Yeah. I, well. But it's relevancy is still there because I think without Chuck Berry, you don't get Elvis, you don't get the Beatles, you don't get all these other albums, uh, these other names that are at the top of this list. Well, and okay. A diversity too, because yep. I mean, it, we have, we have songs recorded over a 10 year span. Um, now pick out 28 Beatles songs over their 10-year span and listen to them, they're, they're going to go from one end to the other. Like there's some that are just going to sound totally different. And we could we could even craft it so that <laughs> we're really picking some kind of deep cuts so that it's just – but even if we picked out the, the hits, they sound so different where these I found uh, from the beginning to the end sounded more or less in the same era. So, again, and that's mm-hmm. not a criticism of Chuck Berry. That's just – the way I felt. So <laughs> this is album number 21 out of 500. Yep. Uh, well, I guess album number 20 on out of all the albums ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's funny. We say out of 500, but really it's like out of infinite. Um, yep. uh, up to 2012. True. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, because Taylor Swift would be like in the top 10 somewhere bumping all this. <laughs> oh, wait, there's no pop on this or country. So was it sound logic at 21, Ben? I think it's probably not sound logic. I said the same thing for Elvis. Uh, 
I th- I think I would have much rather had them put a Chuck Berry album. Yes. I understand why they chose this because, you know, the beginning of his career was what changed music, not his album era right. of his career. Um, but if that's the case, then these songs should be on the greatest songs of all time. And I think they are. They would be, um, yeah. They would be. But... Um, but yeah, I, I struggle with this to be positioned here. And I think I'm going to have that bias whenever we bump up to a compilation album on this list. Well, you're going to have that bias very soon. <laughs> uh, yep. We'll mention that in a couple minutes. I agree with you. I don't think it would sound logic. And I would go as far as to say I don't even need to see this on the list at all. Um, mm. I would put a Chuck Berry album. Or maybe even like, see, they didn't put even put any singles. Why wouldn't you put? So why wouldn't you put the single that has, um, you know, Elvis's "That's All Right, Mama"? Yeah. It was an album. It was a record. It wasn't yeah. a, it? Wasn't an LP, right? But it was a release. And in a time when there weren't really modern LPs, so to speak, why can't that go there? Or or Chuck Berry's, you know, Maybelline or whatever, you know that. So. I would put something else in its place. Would I put it this high? Maybe not. I'd put it top 50 for sure um, because of how significant it is and how far reaching it is. Um, But no, I, I don't think I would put it on um, and I wouldn't even put it on the list. So I know that's harsh, but again, I would replace it with something else. Chuck Perry, anything else? Well, all of this is making me think about some of the other things we have. You mentioned we've got, some more compilations album uh, coming up here, but we also have a live album and a couple of records. And, and so it'll be interesting oh. to see if that kind of a compilation album feels differently for us, but we'll see about that. Is a live album, a compilation album of sorts. Well, I don't think it is. <laughs> it's a compilation of an artist's songs. It's not no, put together by a producer. A, no, it's a live, it's a, it's, it's a live recording. It's a it's a performance. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. that's going to be interesting. Well, we'll have to table that one. <laughs> fight, 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 fight. But, um, exactly. Well, with all that being said, we of course once again want to thank you for joining us on this journey that is the Sound Logic Podcast, and we really hope we join you next time when we discuss. Another compilation album, album number 22, which is the complete recordings of blues legend Robert Johnson. This is going to be another one that I'll be brand new to, so uh, Same. we'll see how it goes. I, I, and I'm curious to see if our respective response to it will be similar to Chuck Berry or different. Yeah, me too. And I guess we'll have to find out. And we hope you will find out with us as well. Uh, by joining us again on the Sound Logic Podcast. Until next time, Ben, have a great evening, and it's always great to talk to you. Always a pleasure, my friend. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our Sound Logic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that classic episode of ours. 
tune in next time for the next album on the new 2020 Rolling Stone list.